And uh, can you please turn with me to Romans chapter 3? Sitting in our series in Romans. Um, and last week we looked at. We start at verse 27 and we'll go all the way to the end of chapter 4. Are you right with God? How do you know that you're acceptable to Him? How do you know that you'll be with Him in heaven when you die? Will be sent away to hell? How do you know that sinful people can be acceptable to a holy God? That's an important question, and it's a question we've been addressing actually the last few weeks, haven't we? The question that we looked at last week. And if you were here last week, those questions were asked, and the questions were answered in the passage. Remember last week we saw in chapter 3 verse 24 that we are justified by God's grace as a gift. And then we saw in verse 26 that the ones who are justified are the ones who have faith in Jesus. Justified by God's grace as a gift and the ones who receive it are those who have faith in Jesus. And this week we, we open up a little bit more on that doctrine of justification by faith. It is restated, it is examined, and is done in the context of a debate about the Jew-Gentile issue. Do Jews really need to trust in Jesus to be saved? And can a Gentile really be saved without being circumcised and becoming a Jew? So both those things are going on at the same time. Before we look at the passage though, I thought it would be good to have some definitions. Right? There's lots of theological jargon here, uh, so some definitions of technical terms might be helpful. Uh, that's the first one, justified. Justified is a uh, legal term, uh, comes from the law courts. It means being declared right with God, being declared not guilty, being acquitted. Righteous is a state of being in right relationship with God, of being in good standing with God, being considered not guilty. Okay, So... Um, you could, those actually the same, the same root words. Uh, justified could be said, righteousified. Right? But it's not, obviously it doesn't work in English. Right? Works, doing good things, being obedient to God's laws, and faith is trust, reliance, belief. You've got that in your handouts, so if you need to look at that anytime, you can go back to that. Now remember in the first three chapters of Romans, Paul has argued that everyone is sinful, Jew and Gentile alike. He showed that God's law doesn't help us to overcome sin or get us right with God. What it does, it shows how sinful we are and it points us to Jesus. And then he showed how Jesus was God's sacrifice, which turned away God's wrath. Where his death for us was the full price of our sin, which meant that God could justly punish sin and yet declare that the sinner who trusts in Christ is not guilty. And that we can be justified, that is, declared right with God, declared not guilty, acquitted, by faith. That is, by trusting in Him. And now the Apostle Paul is going to deal with some of the implications of that. And he poses himself three main questions in the last four verses of Romans 3. The first question that arises is about boasting. There it is in verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? What becomes of our boasting? Now, Paul speaking here is a Jew. 
And the boasting he's talking about is the boasting of Jews. If we're saved by God's grace, then what happens to the boasting of the Jews? What happens about boasting in the law? About the people who have the law and keep the law, unlike those Gentiles out there. What about that boasting about being circumcised, being part of God's people, we've got all this great heritage from the old... What does that boast? Well, the answer in the second half of verse 27, it is excluded. Why? Paul asks in the second half of verse 27, by what kind of law? By a law of works? Is there a law somewhere that says, thou shalt not boast? And you've got to work really hard at not boasting? No. By the law of faith. That is, the Jews couldn't boast because any Jew that was really saved was not actually saved by keeping the law, but, but by faith in Jesus. For, verse 28, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. If salvation was by observing the law, then the Jews could have boasted in their obedience to the law. If salvation was by observing the law, that is the law of Moses, which was talk about law, it talks about the law of Moses, then they could have boasted in their circumcision. But they couldn't boast because their salvation was actually by faith. This has to be the case. Because if it wasn't the case, if the Jews could boast in following the law, then they'd be the only ones saved, because they're the only ones who had the law, and the only ones who actually purported to keep it. They're the only ones who were circumcised. If the Jews could boast that if obedience to the law was part of the formula for justification for being acquitted, then, then only the Jews could be God's people. And so Paul asks, do people need to be circumcised to be justified? Verse 29. Or, is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. And he will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Faith is how you get justified, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. The same God who justifies Gentiles by faith justifies Jews by faith. So, what does it mean? It means it doesn't depend on the law. It doesn't depend on circumcision. It depends on faith. Which then raises the next question. If that is the case, then, then where does the law fit in? Well, before we answer that question, can I ask you a question? Is this annoying you? Is this a sound annoying you? Do you want me to switch the other mic? Or is this okay? It's okay? Okay. Well, where does the law fit in? Well, verse 31, he says... Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And the law God gave to Moses, somehow or other, justification by faith still upholds the law. Paul doesn't say how at this stage. just leaves it as saying, oh, we uphold the law. Maybe we'll come back to it later in the book. Eh? But what he wants to do, really, is to show what he is teaching is actually perfectly consistent with the law. That is, with what is told about in the law in the Old Testament. And so he's going to take those three questions that were raised, those three objections to the gospel, if you like, and use Abraham as a test case to deal with them. Abraham is an important person because he was the physical ancestor of the Jews. He was, in the words of 4 verse 1, our forefather according to the flesh. Abraham had lived 2,000 years before Christ 
and about 400 years before the law was introduced. He did not have the law of Moses. And yet we shall see he was considered righteous. So let's ask the questions about him. Can Abraham boast? Paul begins his answer in verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. If Abraham was declared not guilty, if he was acquitted because of his good works, because of what he did, then, well, he had something to boast about. Because his relationship with God would have been based on his goodness, or his law-keeping, or something that he'd done. But Abraham's relationship with God was not based on his goodness, but based on God's goodness. Abraham was not justified by his post before God. He wasn't put right with God by his achievement, the things that he did. For, verse 3, what does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That is a quote from Genesis 15, 6. And in that passage, you might remember, Abraham He's told that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And although he was old, he didn't have children, Abraham believed God. He took God at his word. Can't let this happen, God, but I believe you can, you will. And the Bible says because he trusted God, because he believed God, God counted it to him as righteousness. God justified Abraham. God considered Abraham right with himself. He considered him his friend. He considered him a good man. Not because of what he did, because he believed God. It's interesting, isn't it? Because some people think that justification by faith is, is just a New Testament concept. In the Old Testament, you got justified by the law. In the New Testament, you get justified by faith. Well, that's not the case. Where salvation is the same, whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament. No one ever deserved to be saved. No one. Whether in the Old Testament or in the New. It's always by God's kindness and God's mercy. Well, in verse 4 to 5 we see another reason why Abraham can't boast. Because the righteousness that he received, he was counted as righteous, was a gift and not a wage. Verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith, his faith, is counted as righteousness. Imagine you were broke. And Andy North came up to you, and gave you a $1,000 gift. Now you'd be overwhelmed by his generosity, wouldn't you? He was under no obligation to give it to you. He just did it out of the goodness of his heart. And you say, thank you, Andy, thank you so much, you've been so kind to me. You'd be, you'd be very grateful. On the other hand, imagine you take your bank account and you see that you've been paid a thousand ringgit, which is your normal monthly wage. Now, you wouldn't go up to your boss and say, oh, boss, thank you so much for paying my salary. It's so kind and generous of you to pay me. No, 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 you expect your salary. It's yours, it's your right, because you earned it, you worked for it. In fact, if you didn't get it, you'd be perfectly within your rights to demand it. You put in your work, you deserve your wages. 
Verse 4 says, The one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. Gets what he deserves. It's an obligation. And to the one, verse 5, who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. That is, being counted as righteous, being justified, being considered right with God, is something that God gives us as a gift. It is not a reward. It is not something that we can earn. It is not something we can deserve. It is not something we should strive for. It is a gift. A gift that is received by faith. By trusting God, who, verse 5 tells us, justifies the ungodly. It is a gift that God gives. A free gift. Notice that incidental phrase about God justifying the ungodly. Just an amazing thing. Just think about it. God the judge justifies, when it says not guilty, to ungodly, that is, guilty people. In fact, the Old Testament says, in Exodus 23, verse 7, Keep far from a false charge, do not kill the innocent with righteousness, for I will not acquit the wicked. I will not acquit, I will not justify. And yet here, now, God acquits the wicked. If we had human judges who did that, we'd be outraged, wouldn't we? How can God be just and yet justify the ungodly? Well, you remember last week, wouldn't you? Romans 3, 24, 26. Justified by his grace through redemption, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. To show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Shows righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Or if you look forward to chapter 5 verse 6, you see that while we're still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, in the death of Jesus, God has redeemed his people. He's, he's paid the price for sin. In the death of Jesus, God has taken his righteous anger against sin and settled it. He has put him forward as a sacrifice for sin. And in the death of Jesus, the judge himself bore our sins. Sin has been punished, justice has been done, or been met. Therefore, God can be just and justify the ungodly. And the one who does not work, does not work, does not try, does not strive, doesn't seek to do it, who does not work in verse 5, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, trusts in him to do it, his faith, verse 5, is counted as righteousness. You see how working for righteousness and trusting for righteousness are two opposite things. The one who is counted as righteous is the one who does not work for it, but trusts the one who justifies the ungodly. Friends, listen to me. Never, never, never work to earn your standing with God. Never do things to try and earn your standing. The moment you try and contribute to your salvation by yourself, the moment you try and make yourself acceptable to God, 
you stop trusting Jesus for it and start looking to yourself. We don't do things to get right with God, friends. We don't. Even religious things. Because if we try to do that, then we're denying the only thing that can get it for us, which is the death of Christ. If we try to contribute, we're saying, Jesus' death is not enough. We've got to help as well. If we're working for salvation, then we're no longer trusting Jesus for it. For those who don't work, verse 5, but trust his faith is counted as righteousness. And of course we know that faith itself is not a work, is it? Faith itself is not something that earns us salvation. Faith says, I can't earn it, I can't deserve it, I trust you for it. If I say I can save myself by having enough faith, then actually I'm not exercising faith. Faith is like a switch that turns the power on for a house, you know? You just, one of, these, one of these switches. Faith is like that. It's not the power source. Power comes from and there's some huge power plant somewhere. Switch doesn't actually give us the power. It allows the power to flow through. And faith doesn't cause us to deserve righteousness. That comes from God through the death of his son on the cross. But when we put our faith in Jesus, then what he has achieved becomes ours. We don't put our faith in faith, put our faith in Jesus. And we receive the righteousness that comes from him. And so, verse 6 to 8, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord will not count his sins. So it's, not just, it's not just Abraham who does this. David knows it as well. David even lives after the law was given and he still knows it. And he declares that the blessed one is the one who's experienced this. The blessed one is the one who who's knows that his iniquities are covered, his wrongdoings forgiven, whose sins God will not count against him. That is blessed indeed. When I was a student in Australia, I, once I borrowed some books from a library near where I was staying. They were only up two or three week loan, and I delayed in returning them. And then I moved from that suburb to another place quite far away, and quite forgot about them for a long time. In fact, for more than a year, maybe two. Now, when I found them again, I was quite worried, because, well... The fine must have, been, must have been enormous. I mean, I rarely went back to that suburb which I borrowed them from, so I had to keep on hanging on to those wretched books. And, and then I discovered they had a system in Adelaide where all the libraries are interlinked. And so if you have, borrow any book from any local government library, you can give it back to any other local government library and they'll send it back for you. So, one day I dropped the books at a book return shoot. The library knew where I was. And then a few months later... I was back in the suburb where I came from. I went to the library where I borrowed the books from. I was really worried, right? Because you get fine. How many dollars? It's a few days late. Now this is like, you know, a couple of years or so. I walk in the library, take my library card, I go to the counter, and I explain to the librarian what happened, you know, smile sweetly at her and say, oh, yeah, yeah. 
She punches my details in the computer. She does it again and again. And she said, there's nothing there. No fine, no record, nothing. Just go. And why was I ecstatic? Because my record had been clean. My debt, which I rightly owed, which had been cleared. Maybe they just gave up on me, I don't know. Right? It is a great thing, brothers and sisters, to know sins forgiven. Really, truly, completely forgiven. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to know that our sins are completely, totally covered, forgiven, and gone? What a great thing to know that God will not condemn us. He will not punish us in His anger because that has already happened on the cross. Wasn't a great thing to know that God won't count our sins against us. He won't hold them against us when we stand before Him on that judgment day. Because He has already said, not guilty. Why? Not because we haven't sinned. Not because we've made up for it in some way. But why? Because Jesus took the punishment for us. The price has been paid. We are forgiven. Righteousness is a free gift. Could Abraham boast? No, he couldn't. He couldn't do anything. Could I boast that I've paid off my fine and I've done all the right things by the library? Nah. Can we boast? Of course not. We can't pretend that our righteousness put us in God's favour. We, we, we got that as God's gift. It's His mercy. God forbid that we should boast in anything but the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we boast or no? Oh, the second question. Do I have to be circumcised to be justified? Paul begins to answer that question in verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised. And you go back to Genesis and you see that Abraham was 99 years old when God instituted the covenant of circumcision and he's less than 86 when God declared him righteous. In other words, there's a gap there, at least 13 years. And so it says after verse 10, the end of verse 10, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. You see, for the Jews, hey, think about it Jews, guys. Abraham hasn't been circumcised yet when he's declared right with God. He hadn't been circumcised yet and God already said to him, I declare you righteous. Only later, verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as the seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So what does that mean? It couldn't have been circumcision that did it. Circumcision cannot be a prerequisite for justification. Circumcision was simply the sign that sealed the righteousness he had by faith. That's like if Patrick Joseph put a new house and he put a sign outside the house when he built it that said, Wisma Patrick Joseph. Right? The sign doesn't make the house. 
voice of the house, shows it to be his, makes it clear for, to everyone that, that that's his house, but doesn't make the house. And that's what circumcision did for Abraham. It confirmed, it ratified, it showed, it pointed to the righteousness that he already had. By faith. Why did God do it that way? Why did God leave all that time between when he was justified and when he had the seal? Because God wanted to make it very clear that it wasn't circumcision that did it for Abraham. Faith was the instrument of justification, not, 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 not circumcision. And so this means that uncircumcised people who have faith can also be saved. Uncircumcised people can still be justified. Righteousness can be theirs by faith. Furthermore, it also means that circumcision itself doesn't save you. So circumcised people still need faith in order to be saved. Having a sign is no substitute for having the real thing. You put a block of land and put Wisma Patrick Joseph outside, it's not gonna you can't live there. You can be a Jew and you can be circumcised and you can still be in your sins. And so the real children of Abraham the people who inherit the blessings of Abraham, who are they? Are they the circumcised ones or the ones with faith? Well, they are the ones with faith. Verse 11 continues. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. You see what I'm saying? Abraham's our father if we have faith. If we are uncircumcised Gentiles and we have faith, Abraham's our father. If we are circumcised Jews and we have faith, Abraham's our father. What makes Abraham our father? It is faith. Do I have to be circumcised to be justified? Do I have to be circumcised to receive the blessing that Abraham was promised? Do I become a Jew to become a child of Abraham? No. We receive the promise to Abraham. We are true children of Abraham if we have faith like Abraham. And nowadays, nobody ever tends to ask me whether they should get circumcised or not. Whether they need to get circumcised or not in order to be saved. Sometimes I do get asked whether you need to get baptized to be saved. You ever, you ever get that asked question? I think the principle is still the same, isn't it? You're saved by God's grace through faith. Baptism is the sign that points to the reality. It is a sign that Jesus commanded us to have. It's a sign that is important. It's not like we're saying that it's not important. No, no, it's the Lord's command. Just like circumcision was the Lord's command in the Old Testament. But the baptism that saves you is not the water baptism on the outside. It's on the inside. It's the faith of the heart. We want people to be baptized? Yes. In obedience to the Lord's command. Be baptized. Get this, put the sign on the outside. You've got the house. Put the sign. 
Are you saved by baptism? No. You are saved by God's grace through faith. That is what Romans tells us. What about the third question? How does the law fit in? Well, the law doesn't bring about the promises. Verse 13 and 14. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. If the promise, if the, the promises, oh, you know, God gave Abraham all these promises. And if the promises and being heirs of those promises, which end up in the gospel and in a new heaven and new earth and gospel, if, if that depended on obeying the law, then it wouldn't be based on faith, would it? It would be once again performance based. And we've already seen that we're so sinful that performance based righteousness doesn't work. All the law did was increase Israel's culpability and guilt. They knew exactly what they were meant to do, and they didn't do it. And if the promises to Abraham depended on law, well, may as well give up now. It's completely hopeless. We'll never make it. What the law does, verse 15, is the law brings wrath. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. See, the law shows sin. Shows the Jews that they sinned. They had the law and they transgressed, they proved that they were sinners. Can't get right with God by law keeping. That is why, verse 16, God made justification depend on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace. If you want the promise to rest on grace, undeserved, then it has to be by faith. And if it depends on grace and not our performance, it can, at the end of, uh, middle of verse 16, be guaranteed to all his offspring. See, if our acceptance to God, if our righteousness before God, if our position before God, if our, right, if our being acquitted before God on the last day depended on our performance, then there will be no guarantee, will there? That you can guarantee you're not going to make it. But, the promise is guaranteed, guaranteed, man, to the offspring of Abraham. Because while our performance always fails, God's grace doesn't. If our righteousness is dependent on the law, then we have no hope. But if it depends on God's grace, it can be guaranteed. And it doesn't just apply to the Jews. It applies to Gentiles as well. Gentiles who have faith like Abraham. And so, the promise is guaranteed, verse 16, not only to the adherents of the law, but to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. See that? Forget law. Forget performance-based Christianity. Forget trying to make yourself accepted by God. Trust in Jesus. That's the basis for guarantee. Because God's grace is strong. Our works are weak. Law points us to Jesus. Law shows us our need for him. Helps us see the problem. But it doesn't help us with the solution.
in the last paragraph of this chapter, the long paragraph, Paul goes on to describe Abraham's faith. You see, Abraham is our spiritual father. God promised him many descendants. Abraham believed that promise. Abraham, verse, end of, end of verse 16, the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls them to exist in the things that do not exist. In hope, Abraham believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he, would, when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised, and that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, he said, look, Abraham trusted God to do what he said, even though it seemed unlikely. Abraham and Sarah were old. Their reproductive organs were as good as dead. But Abraham believed God. God had promised him many descendants, and so he believed that God had the power to raise the dead. He had the power to create from nothing, to call into existence things that don't exist. Then he can raise the dead, and he can use reproductive organs that are as good as dead to give descendants to Abraham. This is the God he believed in. And so he trusted the God to do what he promised. His faith was considered righteousness. And the Holy Spirit says to us, through the Apostle Paul, verse 23-24, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. See, like Abraham believed God can raise the dead, God has told us he has given new life from the dead in the resurrection of Jesus. And if you know that Jesus is risen, then you know, in the words of chapter 1, that he was declared to be the Son of God in power by that resurrection. It shows that he is God's promised King. And therefore, when we believe the resurrection, we put our trust in him as our King. Do you, do you trust God who can raise the dead? Do you believe that God can raise the dead? Do you believe that Jesus is the risen Lord? Do you convince that God brought him to life again? Because if you are, then, then you share that same faith as Abraham. And like Abraham, you become the righteous. You may be struggling against sin. In fact, Sure you are. We all are. But God counts you. Verse 24. Counted to us as righteous. Isn't that great? Isn't that great that God can look at you and say, righteous. Even though you know your past, God knows your past. God knows your present, God knows your future. But God can look at you and say, righteous. Not angry with you, not against you, I'm for you. Why? 
because Jesus who was raised first died for us. Verse 25, he was delivered up for our trespasses. He was delivered up, probably a better translation is, because of our trespasses. Handed over to the Romans because of what we have done wrong. We're sent to die on our behalf. Delivered up for our trespasses. And then verse 25 again, raised up because of our justification. Jesus did not stay dead. Why? Because our sins had been dealt with. He had already paid the full price for them on the cross. He had borne God's wrath for us completely. God accepted His offering as a full satisfaction for us. Everything that was needed for justification was accomplished on the cross. The work was finished. The deed was done. As far as God is concerned, the verdict could have been given right there for those who had faith. Nothing can change it now. Jesus was raised from the dead because of our justification. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can know that we are justified. That we can stand righteous. That we live under God's grace. And therefore we know we have peace with God. So in conclusion, friends. Abraham wasn't saved by words. He was justified by grace as a gift. God had no obligation of justifying him, but he promised to do that and he did. And so Abraham had no reason to boast. We're not saved by works either. Works don't work. God has got no obligation to justify us. We are all sinners who fall short of his glory, but are justified by grace as a gift. And so we've got no reason to boast in ourselves either. We can't say, oh, aren't I great to be in this position? So much better than others, because I'm justified. No, no, we can't say that, because we're saved by grace. Boasting is included. Whether we are baptized, or confirmed, or go to church on Sundays, or go to Bible study, or pray, or give money to ministry, help the poor, care for our neighbors, evangelize the lost, set up the room for snack. None of those things contribute to our salvation. They don't count to our righteousness. They don't make us any more acceptable to God than we already are. Because if they did, that would spoil grace. We could boast about them. And that would take the glory away from God for our salvation. So, we are justified by God's grace and we receive that by faith alone. Abraham wasn't saved by circumcision. Came later. Wasn't saved by following the law of Moses. And we aren't either. Law highlights sin, doesn't atone for it. Abraham was saved by faith. We're not saved by doing good. We are justified when we believe God's promises and lean entirely on the cross of Christ. Just one last thing to say. I've been talking as if we've all received a gift. Maybe we all have. But there may be people here who haven't actually yet received that gift by faith. Maybe you didn't even know it was a gift until today. You thought you had somehow or other you had, you had to earn it. I don't know. Well, if that's you, then can I urge you to put your trust in Jesus today? 
You might have had faith in him, in him for all kinds of things in the past, but stop relying on yourself to put yourself right with God. Stop trying to get right with God by doing good things, even religious things. Instead, rely completely on Jesus. And then you can do good things because you love God who loved you first. Believe God's promises that those who trust in Jesus are declared not guilty and trust that through him you're completely forgiven. Let's pray together. Just give some time to pray quietly before God. If you're someone who's already trusting in Jesus, then just spend a few moments meditating on the verses that was from our psalm. Blessed is the one whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord will not reckon sin. What a great blessing God has given us. What a great blessing. If you're someone who's been trying to earn your way to God's favour, why not just take a few moments to quietly apologise to God for even trying. You might want to tell God that from now on you're going to rely on Jesus and his death for you. I trust him to forgive you on that basis. We'll take a few moments now to thank God for the gift of righteousness that he's given us in Jesus. We thank God that when Jesus died in our place, God forgave us all our sins. Past, present and future. Even the ones we're most ashamed of. thank him that we've been able to hear the verdict from the Lord God of heaven not guilty we know it's worked because of the resurrection Heavenly Father we just want to thank you Lord for the great and precious promises you've given to us in Jesus we confess, Lord, that we have no righteousness of our own and that sometimes in folly we try and make ourselves acceptable to you in and of ourselves. Please help us not to do that. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for us in our place. Thank you that you justify us freely by your grace, through faith.
thank you that it's nothing that we can do because we know we can't do anything anyway thank you for the grace in which we now stand thank you that we can be accepted by you completely thank you that you call us righteous even though we continue to struggle with sin thank you for the guarantee of eternal life with you because we know it is not based on our performance but on your grace access through faith help us Father to keep depending on your righteousness not our own keep on looking to the cross to know that our sins though they be many are covered and our iniquities you hold not against us we thank you Heavenly Father for your wonderful mercies to us in Christ and his name we pray Amen